Are you and your team overwhelmed and scattered right now? Do you feel like you can't see the wood for the trees? And are you finding it difficult to clearly see the way forward? Do you wish you had a magic wand that would get you unstuck and make things happen? In this episode, I'm joined by Annie Hannikam, team coach and leadership specialist, to talk about the three crucial conversations which will help you and your team get unstuck when you're feeling overwhelmed. We chat about the transformation that asking the right questions and answering them can bring. And we discuss the key principles that have helped us personally and the teams that we've worked with. So listen, if you want to find out the three key questions you can ask yourself or your colleagues when you're stuck. Listen if you want to know how a conversation can really transform how you feel and how to take control, improve your focus and change your response to an overwhelming workload. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So it's really wonderful to have with me back on the podcast today, Annie Hannikam. Hi, Annie. Hi, so lovely to be back. Thank you for inviting me again. Now, those of you that haven't met Annie before, Annie is a team coach. She's a leadership specialist and she co-hosts the Resilient Team Academy with me. So it's it's a great pleasure to be working with you, Annie. And I wanted to get you back on the podcast because we've been talking a lot recently in the Resilient Team Academy about, about conversations, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And in fact, it's an interesting one where the nature of conversations seems to have shifted in people's minds. And so I know, Rachel, you and I have spoken about that. So indeed, it does feel like a, a really relevant space to be focusing in on because it's so simple we almost overlook it yeah as we were saying earlier sort of what is leadership well leadership is about the people that you're leading which is about relationships and how do you do relationships well it's conversations isn't it yeah I mean it's so often you hear people saying yeah I just had a really rubbish conversation with my husband or with my partner or with my you know boss 
uh, you know, but we're fine. We're fine. But yeah, we just have these terrible brows all the time. And it's on that, that, you know, Susan Scott and her, her work, Fierce Conversations, and I think it's pretty much her life's work, is just really clear about the fact that the conversation is the relationship. And so the quality of our conversations really do matter. And I know certainly when I heard that for the first time many years ago, it struck me bang in the middle of the eyes, just suddenly going, actually, that just rings so true. And so the attention that we put into our conversations really does carry a lot of weight. So it's worth some thinking time. Yeah. Well, the conversation is the relationship. And you were saying to me earlier that you think we're just out of practice. That's right. that a funny thought. Exactly. Even saying you, hearing you say that now just feels strange. But, you know, Rachel, I know you'll have come across this as well in, in the work that you've been doing where, you know, there's hybrid teams, there's people that are fully remote still. There are those that have actually been back in the office for maybe even the whole way through this pandemic and, and strange time we've been through. But in general, people have been less connected. So even if they've been in a space, they've been socially distanced. And it's been an interesting time with the pendulum swung right across to actually taking your distance and, and being even mentally more remote from others. And really, there is that case of for many who have been physically remote and working virtually, there's almost a laziness to engage in real, meaningful conversations. I noticed that at the beginning of the pandemic, the conversations were very much around how are you, how are you coping, you know, how, how are things. And as things have gone on and we've got busier and busier, it tends, they tend to be much more task focused now. Okay, what, what have we got to do? Let's, let's get down to business. And we have forgotten about some of the, well, even just the sort of small talk aspect, about how important that is, even if you really hate small talk. And I know loads of people are completely allergic to it, but it, it's not small talk, actually. It's really important talk. Now, I know that you've been working with, with lots of teams. I've been working with lots of you know, doctors and people in high-stress organisations, and we've both been working with people in the Resilient Team Academy. What do you think people are particularly going through right now that isn't really being addressed by, by their leaders, by the people who, who should be listening? Yeah, that's such a great question, Rachel. And I, I, I wish I had sort of a firm, clear, absolute answer to that. But certainly things that I have been picking up is an overwhelm of, of being feeling quite stuck. So although there's that light at the end of the tunnel, life's returning to, to some sense of normality, there's the lag of how people are behaving. And so that's almost linking back to what we were talking about in terms of being out of practice. And so as much as, as meetings are set up in ways that are now that much more social and together and we're thinking about the road ahead and there, there's an energy in some senses about things returning back to some sense of normality and we back out there again, there's an exhaustion that has followed that and that, I guess, is the lag. And with an exhaustion, I think, comes almost a laziness of, of dragging ourselves. And I definitely sense that from people of, of feeling kind of a heaviness as they come into meetings or their own work or their, even their creativity. And that's almost a, a, a topic or concept that's come up more often than I, I suppose I've heard before of just how do I be more creative? 
how can I think about things differently? What, what is what is a new way of engaging? Because of, I think, just the ways I've always done things just don't work as well anymore. But what I can sense is lying beneath that is a bit of apathy, a bit of exhaustion and a real tiredness, which is almost that feeling of people need to shake it off. And I guess what's worth mentioning here is that doesn't necessarily mean people are not taking leave. So you might go, oh, you'll just take a good holiday and you'll be good. But actually, there's quite a big difference between fatigue, which is a physical fatigue. I've been running too hard. I'm exhausted. Leave's really going to sort this out. And it might well. A week taken with good intent and good rest and having good night's sleep really can serve one. But I think what's being overlooked at the moment is what we would call depletion. And so it looks similar. There's a fatigue. And yet what we need is almost the opposite of a week off and rest. We need social connection. We need to fill up our cups. Now, that looks different for different people. It could be meditation. It could be exercise. It could be a Friday night drink at the pub or a pizza night with our mates. Um, But the point is to identify that. And I think once we can, then we start to get clearer about, well, what are the solutions I need to be looking for here? But that certainly has been in the in, in sort of private clients and in the corporate space. I'm interested to know, Rachel, because I think it's you've alluded to it earlier, what you're seeing in, with GPs and, and in medical practices. I think, yeah, that word overwhelm, definitely. And when you are overwhelmed with the workload and overwhelmed with the demand and just the sheer volume of the task you've got to get through, then everything falls by the wayside. The, the, the tasks and the work become your only focus. And, and having those conversations and making time <clears throat> for informal connections just doesn't happen. And so people feel really, really isolated. That and the fact that they are often just stuck in a room doing stuff virtually or, or semi-virtually, seeing a few patients or then being on, on calls and then the meetings rather than face-to-face often are are virtual or if they are face to face people are so busy that they haven't got time to hang around and and every minute you spend in a meeting or a conversation seems a minute when you could actually be getting on with your tasks and so it's no wonder nobody can be creative right because very difficult to be creative when you're know that there's so much stuff you need to do and that in itself puts you into your stress zone into your fight flight free zone you go into your sympathetic zone Adrenaline goes around, the heartbeat goes up, and you, you can't really think creatively. So I think that's what I've seen. And this isolation, which which absolutely leads to depletion. It's not just the, the volume of work and having to work hard and going to bed late that makes you tired. It's this, it's this depletion. So I know me and you have been talking a lot about this depletion and, and what people can do about it. And I think we've sort of come up with with three main questions you can either ask yourself or conversations that you could have one-to-one with a colleague or or with your team which I think are just gonna help people get a little bit unstuck when they are when they are feeling like this and they're based on some of the 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 shapes toolkit which we use in all the training and particularly in the resilient team academy as well and so just wanted to talk about these on the podcast because for me, I think they are a way to start to deal with the over, overwhelm and then get a little bit un- underneath it and work out what's going on. And the first one, really, well, the first conversation to have with people when people are feeling stuck is what, what's in your control? What can you do about this? So, so why is that such an important one to start off with? 
It's such an interesting one, Rachel, you know, and it's it's one that is so deceptively simple and yet has such enormous impact. And it, it gets me every time when not only I see that in others, but I revisit that concept myself. And I think the power in it is almost the relief when people go, wow, there are elements that I can just let go. I can just let go of. And that concept of letting go mentally is such an enormous one to allowing people that, that, that mental freedom of I don't have to carry it all. You know, it reminds me of one of Greg McKeon's, you know, three principles in essentialism of I can do anything, but not everything. And I think that's linked here. It gives people almost the how. So, you know, looking at, at what's in your control, we look at the circle of, of control, the zone of power. And what's lovely about it, as much as we mentally let go, is almost physically going, draw a circle, draw it on a page. It's, it's really tactile. People can do it. You could do it right now. You know, anyone out there listening, just draw a circle on, a, on an empty page. doesn't matter how big or small the space is. And inside that zone of power is all the things that you really can impact, the things that you can control. The, the the conversations you do have, the relationships you can impact. And so if we just focus in on there, the circle might feel quite small, particularly if we're feeling that overwhelm and depletion, Rachel, that we've talked about. But actually, if we start to just focus in on what we can control, we can really grow that circle. And that's what's so wonderful about it is, is an in growing up, and that's why the, the circle of power, the word power is so useful here. I feel more powerful. I feel more empowered as I grow that circle. And I think as one feels that more, even if you just close your eyes and think about what is in your control and what you really can impact, our sense of having a useful conversation grows with that. Actually, if I, you know, I'm feeling, so if I, you know, the simple sort of scenario of I, I feel so frustrated because my kids keep coming home and being in a mood and it just upsets the whole day and I just wish they would, you know, you know, be more tidy or, or less moany or, you know, I've also had a long day at work and we can feel so out of control of that situation. And indeed, I can't make my children be another way. But if for a moment I just stop and I go, what can I do? What can I control? Well, I can control myself and I can just put a lid on any frustration I might be feeling. I'm not saying I'm not frustrated, but I don't have to let it all out. I can control that. I could then have a conversation with one of my kids and just really connect in, just slow things down, change the environment where it possibly, take a walk down, you know, I need to go buy some flour. Maybe I'll, you know, take them with me. Yes, I can control that. And, and slowly we start to create the environment, the tone of the conversation, the way in which we engage with someone. I haven't changed the whole scenario, but I've certainly started to engage in a way that actually could have an impact on how I'm feeling about it in general. And so, I mean, that's a very simple little scenario, but you can think of that in terms of your patients. You can think of that in terms of your colleagues or a client who's losing the plot that actually as much as we get wrapped up into that space, particularly when we're feeling this fatigue that's all around us, is that we really can step into that control 
into that feeling of I have more power than I might have thought I do initially. So simple concept that can have a huge knock-on effect, I think. Yeah, and, and for me, this concept of the zone of power, what can I control? And, and if anyone's listening, not entirely clear about how you do this, <clears throat> literally get a bit of a paper and draw a circle in the middle. The circle is all those things that you can control that are in your control, which is basically what you do, what you say, <laughs> how you organise your life, etc., etc. And then there's stuff outside which you can't control, which is basically other people and coronavirus and patient demand, all those sorts of things. For me, the really helpful thing about this is actually recognising what's outside that circle because it's so overwhelming. And that's where the overwhelm comes when you start to feel responsible for the stuff outside the circle, yet there's nothing you can do about it. And the serenity prayer talks about being granted the courage to to change what's in your control and the serenity to accept that stuff that you can't change that's outside your control. I do remember a while back when I was trying to set up a course and I hadn't been, I felt that I hadn't been given enough time to do it or enough people to help or enough resources. And I went to see my boss going, oh, well, I'm really stressed. What am I supposed to do? And he just said to me, what can you do with what you do have? And I went, well, I can do this, this and this. He said, brilliant, go and do that. And like you said, I felt the weight dropping off my shoulders. It's like, yeah, I can do that. And I'm in control of that. And so you do feel <clears throat> much more powerful. Now, for me, it was just then shedding what I couldn't control, just, just, just dropping it. Now, that can feel a bit uncomfortable sometimes because there are some things that we wish we, that wish we could, but you're then fighting reality. And if you fight reality 100% of the time, reality is going to win. So that acceptance, that all that stuff outside my circle. And interestingly, I, I was listening to a couple of podcasts the other day. One was about stuff that, that someone was doing and the changes they could make and giving tips and stuff. And I listened to that thought, yeah, that's really great. felt really energized. Another podcast I was listening to, basically at the end of it, there were 10 minutes of the host whinging about how dreadful things were and about what was happening and about all that demand out there and, and how things needed to change and things needed to happen and the government should do something and someone should do something. And at the end of it, I felt completely depleted and, and really depressed and thought, yeah, that is the difference between focusing on what we can control and focusing on, on what we can't control. And so it's, it's a good way, isn't it, to, to get unstuck when you are feeling a bit depleted. It is. And I think it's also worth mentioning that the stuckness in, in feeling like, oh, I just can't do anything about that is overwhelming. But it's also because we've worked out in our heads how we would want to try and control it or how we would want to, to impact or shift it. And what invariably or often does happen when we just focus in on that zone of power, that space that we really can control, we end up impacting those things we, we thought we couldn't control, but in a completely different way by just showing up in a different mindset or having a conversation with someone and they're able to impact it quite directly. And so that's the power of just focusing on those things that we really can control and just trusting the process, trusting yeah, you, ourselves in that. You also mentioned creativity earlier, Annie. I think it's much easier to be creative when you're in your zone of power. So another question you could ask once you've said what's in your control, very simply, what else, you know? What else is there? Are there things you've not yet thought of? Just make a massive long list. Doesn't mean you have to do them, but there may well be things that 
you've thought of now that you hadn't thought of before. And that's when you can start to, to be creative and just think of, think of different options. And this, this leads us quite nicely to the next conversation, the next question. So we've talked about focusing on what is in your control. Well, the next question when people are feeling overwhelmed is quite simply, where is your focus? What, what are you focusing on? And we're talking quite specifically now about, about prioritization and tasks. So how, how does this work in terms of getting over the overwhelm? Yeah, and so here we'd look at the kind of prioritization grid. And I think many people are familiar with the kind of the, the, the grid working with what's important and what's urgent. And, you know, even as we've been talking and that's the introduction here of what people are facing and, and what our current environment looks like, the busyness is often driven by an internal sense of urgency and really feeling that there's just more and more and more I need to achieve and more and more and more I need to do. and demands on my time and the busyness of my calendar and my diary and patient demands and all of that that just doesn't seem to stop. And so again, we, you know, we can't slow all of that down, but what we can do is just step back. I think it's so important in the space of prioritizing and what we're focusing on is just to get a sense of, well, hang on, let me just get a, a, get a, a handle on where I am with this. And so we look at, well, are the things that I'm focusing on here only of an urgent nature? Or are they also in the important camp? Are they things that are really driving me forward towards those things that really matter? Am I serving people in the best possible way? And am I staying focused on that? We can get so caught in the treadmill of urgency and actually call it the urgency trap that although we might be doing those things that are both urgent and important and really are linked to our roles, our KPIs, and serving people in the best possible way, when we get stuck there and we don't step back and just catch ourselves to see that we are are really doing the work that is is over the longer term really of service and and that we're in the best state to be doing that, we can start be dropping into kind of the less important things. They might be serving someone else, but in an area of work that's not your expertise or, you know, you just be used as a, as a pack horse almost to just be the hands that anybody could be learning and growing from, but actually your expertise has been wasted because you're doing stuff that's not serving your area of expertise or your KPIs or goals or the, the patients that are needing you specifically in that area. And so, What's really important about using the the prioritization grid is allowing for that discernment to actually go, where am I focusing? And am I just caught in a a sort of speed mill here where I'm, I'm just doing, 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 but not asking the question of, is this serving the needs that I am committed to, the goals I have, and for those that I am doing my work for um, and with. So then in a nutshell is kind of how I would at a high level talk about the grid. Yeah. Now I know that you've talked before about this, the good feelings that doing the urgent stuff all the time produces. And that was interesting to me because I thought, oh no, I, I hate feeling really overwhelmed and just working on the urgent stuff. But actually that was very insightful. What, how does it make us feel when we're doing that urgent stuff? Yeah. I mean, after, and again, this will be different for different people, but certainly those who you are. Re- there's almost the addiction to the 
the adrenaline, the mover shaker, the the achieving stuff, the ticking off the to-do lists, the, the credit that we might get for doing a job. Now, whether it was important or not, ultimately to us, no one else necessarily knows. So sometimes it's the praise that comes with us that we get addicted to. And they could be different things for different people. I almost want to say, sadly, we build up a fitness in this. And so we get quite good at being busy and they, we, it's, it's, we feel important and we we feel like we're really achieving stuff. And so almost part of our self-worth can get attached to how busy we are, how busy we seem to be. And don't get me wrong. Absolutely. There's, there are some good endorphins there, I think. And actually medically, Rachel, you can speak to this more, you know, more, more uh, accurately than I can. But certainly there are those feel good factors of, of I'm busy and I'm achieving stuff and my work matters and I'm of value. Now the challenge is that that's, absolutely works and holds in the short term. But if we consistently only hold in view the short term, what we're not holding in view is the long-term impact of that. And so the challenge with being in that short-term spin of just doing and achieving and feeling great about it, we don't feel great if we keep doing that over a long period of time. And as I was saying, that period of time could be a week for some. It could be three months for some. I mean, it depends what the work is and the nature of how, how we operate, but certainly there's an endpoint, and that can look quite scary. And I mean, I think many of us have heard about the burnout and the real serious fatigue that has, has almost forced people out of the workforce because of just being stuck in that, what felt like a feel-good factor, but almost became an addiction. And then we kill over. I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz yeah and then you get the flip side you then start to feel a little bit guilty if you then are focusing on the important projects that aren't necessarily urgent i mean I'm, i know this morning i Try to shut all my stuff down and just work on these important things I needed. But I knew there were these other stuff calling me and I felt like, oh, no, I really should. I should be doing the other stuff. But actually, no, the, the longer term stuff is the stuff that makes the, 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 the real impact. And whether that is working out workflows for delegation or doing staff appraisals or, or, or building your team or, or things like that. They're things that aren't crying out urgently, but boy, do they make a huge amount of difference if you do that in the long term. And I, I am always quite struck by leaders when they say that they you know use the urgent important grid with their teams and ask your teams actually what is in your important but non-urgent quadrant what are you really focusing on now how people have got completely different ideas about what they should be focusing on and i don't think we're having that conversation with with each other enough i.e what are you focusing on right now what is the really important thing for 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 this team and maybe one person thinks it's this, one person thinks it's that, one person thinks it's the other thing. And we get completely scattered. I, I was talking, and I can't remember who I was talking to, a leader the other day, and she's very creative. And she'd come up with, when she was talking to one of her team members, she'd come up with all these amazing ideas. And then 
the team member would go away thinking that they had to do it all. And, and then they'd come back going, well, I've, start, I, I, I've started on that and I've started on that and not on that. And the person was like, oh, no, no, I, I was just sort of like putting stuff out there. And they hadn't agreed what their focus was, was going to be. And I, I think just since checking in with your team, with your colleague, with your boss, okay, what, what is the important stuff that we're going to focus on right now? And then, and then stick to it. There's a really helpful book called Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. And he suggests every day you sit down and you write your three priorities for the day. And those are the things that, that you do. I mean, I know this is a bit nuanced. If you have a surgery and you've got loads of patients to see, then maybe one of your priorities is get my surgeries done. You know, my second priority might be finish that. And then the third priority might be blah. You know, you've got to decide what it is depending on what, what day you've got. But then you don't just do that for the day. You do that for the week. You do that for the month. And even for the year, for this year, my three priorities are blah, blah, blah. I remember this time last year, it was working out with my daughter where she was going to go to sick form. You know, <laughs> that was a priority for the family that we were that we were thinking about. So just even writing those down and getting that straight in your head can just help some of the other stuff drop away, perhaps. Well, I think what's very important to, to recognise, Rachel, is that you're not doing one at the exclusion of, you're not doing the important stuff at the exclusion of the urgent and important stuff. And this, you know, links me back to what I was saying about when you, you know, how you achieve things might look different if we just focus in on our zone of, of control, our zone of power, and we look at the things that are important. Now, if, if, if classically, if you look at what lives in that quadrant of, of important things, but they're not necessarily urgent. Generally, it's relationships. It's our health. It's things like recruitment, delegation, things that take a bit longer. And so they're not urgent. Oh, it's quicker if I just do it myself. Oh, I need to hire someone, but there's a whole interview process and vetting. And I, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Now, if I was to say, imagine you had, you know, you'd nurtured the relationships around you and your team, in your family, in your close network. You'd hired that extra person that you knew would really help you out in your work. You'd managed to delegate some of the harder tasks of the last few months you've putting, been putting time into that. Now, if I go back to that scenario you were talking about, Rachel, of like, I want to focus on my important things, but I've got this and this and this and this that need to be done. Are any of those things, might they have been solved by that extra recruit you had, by that bit of delegation you put in place, by that strong relationship you have in your colleague to say, would you mind picking this up for me today? Because I know that, you know, I helped you out a couple of weeks ago. You wouldn't have said it like that, but certainly that insinuated strongly. (laughs) The relational capital that one builds. Um, where we help, but that doesn't just keep happening if we don't put the time in. And so can you see there that, you know, time and the importance serves the urgent in the longer term. But when we keep our focus in close, that becomes a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, you've got these urgent goggles that is really focused. You're going to get, get those off and get the, the, the long-term glasses on. And for me, I think this whole thing about, you know, what I'm focusing on, what's, what's really important, I find it quite hard to work out just sitting down by myself. I do find it takes a conversation. And I know we've talked about thinking partnerships in the past where I think it was Nancy Klein talks about thinking partnerships where you can, you know, 
just get together with another person and you talk for 25 minutes, they listen, and then they talk for 25 minutes and you listen. And I think her sort of basis of this is the quality of my listening determines the quality of your thinking. And it can be really powerful just doing that. Really powerful. And, and it's a practice. So what I will say is it carries enormous power and insight and it's almost a gift to yourself, but you've got to allocate the time. So that's the first trick is put the time in. Don't kind of go, oh, Rachel, we've got a meeting. Should we use 25 minutes each way? It's like, oh, no, but we've got so much we need to come. You know, you've got to come in knowing that's what you're going to do. So first of all, allocate the time. And then there is is stick with the process. It's that trust in the process because we almost feel uncomfortable going, God, Rachel's not saying anything. I've, I've, I've got to keep thinking. What a, and the principle of it is so powerful in that my first thoughts are the thoughts that are, are easily accessible to me. They're the ones that I can reach for quite quickly. But as I sit for a moment and I know I'm being listened to, it's amazing how it just inspires a level of thought or contemplation that I wouldn't naturally do by myself. And then I start reaching for much deeper things of, actually, I'm not sure that is what's going on here. Well, I'm not sure that is what I really think. Or, gosh, I, I grabbed that solution, but let me just think if that's practical or if I'm actually committed to that or if that's what I really want to do. Actually, I don't care about that at all. That's not what's important here. What really matters is X. And that suddenly becomes, it's a conversation with someone, but almost more with ourselves. And so it's, it's got a whole different nature. It's not something we do naturally until we get more practiced at it. And so it, as, as you were saying, Rachel, it does take someone who will think with you, therefore called a thinking partnership. And actually, I have a thinking partner in Geneva, and we go through times when we're busy and not, and, and so we don't, you know, hold to it absolutely. But when we're going through, you know, good periods, every two weeks, we will spend an hour together and we will just think. So we'll each have at least 25 minutes. And it's unbelievable how, how much self-solution comes out. And so this is one of the other powerful principles of a thinking partnership is in our usual conversation. So Rachel, if I was having a conversation with you and we, you were trying to solve the conundrum, there's almost an arrogance in me that I feel I've, I'm here to help you, you solve it. I'll come up with solutions. And I, you've got the conundrum. It's 99% certain that you've got the solution but I just need to help you get there. And so that's the power again, is it's allowing you to uncover what you are seeing as a solution to the conundrum that you were holding. You're much more likely to come up with a sustainable, useful, viable approach that actually you're pretty likely to follow through because it's, it's your thinking. And so it's, a, it's almost a radical way of thinking about it and yet so deceptively simple again. So these aren't tricky things that we need to invest loads of money and time in. Um, we have them available to us. We just need to make the commitment to give it time. Mm. One of the things I think that happens in these conversations is we start to uncover the stories that we're telling ourselves in our, in our heads. And this is our, the third conversation that I think we need to be having with each other is what story are you telling? Because a lot of the overwhelm, 
Well, it's just work, isn't it? It's just things that are coming at us, but it's what we're telling ourselves about the work that's causing our stress. We might be telling ourselves, I'm never going to get this done, or this isn't fair. They shouldn't be demanding this of me, or I'm going to make a mistake and everything's going to go pear-shaped, or I cannot carry on like this. It's going to be awful. I should be dealing with everything on the day. They shouldn't be criticizing me or, you know, there's a lot of angst out there at the moment. It's really unfair what they're saying about GPs. And yet, yes, yes, some of that might be true, but actually there's, there's other things as well that are, that are more true, particularly with the, you know, the criticizing of GPs. I think why they're doing it. It's not because they are personally trying to get at you. It's because they're upset and angry about coronavirus, about what's happened nationally over the last 18 months. They might be upset that they can't get exactly what they want, exactly the time they want. That doesn't mean you're a bad doctor. All those different things. And the story we're telling ourselves is just such a powerful motivator or demotivator, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a sad reality that we almost wired to go there. It's in our human nature. And sadly, we can find so much evidence for the stories that we are telling ourselves. Oh, see, I knew I knew they don't value me around here. And yep, they've just gone off and had lunch together and haven't invited me. So, yep, I knew it. It's absolutely true. I am not valued around here because they did it. And then I can find another three or four reasons why that is the case. And so. It is, it's a crazy twirl we can get into. And in fact, I've seen such a great antidote to it with two colleagues that I worked with who work very closely together. And actually, when this sort of concept of, gosh, there's a story in my head, maybe it's a story, maybe it's not reality, is they got into the habit of when they addressed each other and there was something that they were not happy about or were stuck on, they almost became unconscious of the fact, but uh, the fact that they were starting the engagement by saying, so the story I'm telling myself is that you're not liking what I've done here, or this isn't a very good piece of work. And so the story I have of myself is that I'm underperforming here and this is going very well. Now, By just saying those words, the story I'm telling myself, we're already starting to do the work of, hmm, this might not be true. Not all stories are true. So that's the first part. And the second part is that the other person is not feeling attacked, going, you don't value my work. You don't think I'm underperforming. Actually, I've admitted it to my story. And they can go, oh, wow, that is so not how I I see it. Or they could go, gosh, it's interesting you've got that story in your head. I did think it wasn't your best piece of work, but I certainly wouldn't say. And suddenly it's an easier conversation to engage in because we've just even used those words, the story I'm telling myself or the story in my head. Very powerful. Yeah. And the problem with a lot of the stories, like you said, we're we're wired to, to look for the negative because it's protective, right? When we were living in caves, it'd be quite protective to think that person's coming towards me. They're not smiling. Therefore, they could be about to attack me with a club. <laughs> so we, t- we tell ourselves that so we're, re- we're ready to run because the story, these negative stories put us into, well, I call it being backed into the corner, into our fight, flight or freeze zones where we've got the adrenaline going, where we're not thinking straight. It's very hard to be creative. Like you said before, we cannot be creative 
when we are in the corner in our fight, flight or freeze zone, because quite literally the, the blood is, is drained from our brain and into our muscles so that we can, we can run away. And so when we're feeling overwhelmed, the story is, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to get through this. This is never going to go away. It's always going to be like that. And actually stopping yourself and say, actually, working out what's true. I am. I am good enough. Actually, nobody would really be able to cope with this level of work. I will do my best and my best is good enough, you know, and, and starting to get those, those, those things that are, that are actually true helps you get out of your stress zone, helps you cope with the overwhelm more and also then helps you say no a bit more as well. Because if you're telling yourself the story, I can't possibly say no to that person. They'll think I'm a bad person. They'll make a complaint, blah, blah, blah. Then, then you're never going to say no. You're going to keep your, your urgent goggles on and go for the short term and go for the, the route of least resistance. But in the long term, that's no good. If you change the story to the truth, which is it's okay to say no, you know, they might get a bit hacked off in the short term, but long term, they'll understand. Then you'll be able to do that. And I guess the key to that sort of thing is buying yourself a little bit of time and space to be able to process those stories and, and, and the truth and, and what's actually true. But I think it's like you said, Annie, this gets really, really powerful when it's in the context of a conversation, whether either it's about something that's going on between us or it's about an issue, but you actually need to uncover uncover that story and just getting someone else to feedback. I remember I was walking along with a friend recently. I was just telling her about something. She said, gosh, you're really angry about this, aren't you? I was like, whoa, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know I was in the corner about it. And then I could say, okay, why am I angry? Well, okay, well, this is a story I have in my head and let's check this out and, and see it. It was really, really helpful because I hadn't spotted that myself. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, catching oneself. Again, language is so interesting when someone just throws it back at you. So that as the, the power of observation is massively useful. And as you were talking there, Rachel, what occurred to me, I know you and I have spoken about this, what also is so good, and I think as you were saying, that catching ourselves or having someone just, you know, almost stop us in our tracks. What's also useful in this scenario, because as we were saying, we can get spun around in story, our human nature is to go there, is also to just go, what is my intention for this conversation? What is it that I want to achieve in this powwow I might be having with my husband or my colleague or, you know, with someone in, in the practice with me? What is it that I want to achieve? Because when we're in a place of stuck in a story of just wanting to lash out or feeling you know, out of control or stuck in urgency. So if you look at all of those scenarios that we've talked about, almost the, the downside of just feeling under the pressure of it all, if we can just stop and go, what is my intention for this engagement with my team or with this patient or with this person that I'm, I'm speaking with? What is it I want to achieve here? Because when we are under pressure and we've got so much going on or we're stuck in a story about someone else or about ourselves, we can just want to lash out. And if we think about, well, if I'm lashing out, what, what's the intention there? And then quite quickly we can catch ourselves going, as much as it's tempting to want to give someone a piece of my mind and have them feel as bad as I'm feeling right now, that's not actually my intention. That's not really what I want to achieve here. I actually just want the help or I would love to know if what I'm doing is on the right track or I would love to just 
have a conversation that builds our relationship because actually we've been missing each other. And so if that's what my intention is, how do I go about this? And so that's quite a good anchor then from which to move and to go, what is it I want to achieve here? And as you were saying, Rachel, it's just the catching oneself and then moving uh, through that because even that would help you to identify that you might be stuck in a story, which is not very useful. Annie, we're, we're nearly out of time. If you were to give your three top tips for how to have some of these conversations that are going to get people unstuck, and we've talked about the zone of power, you know, what is in your control, what's in my control. We've talked about the prioritization grid. It's all about where is my focus, where is your focus. And we've talked about the, the, the in the corner shape, really, about what story are you telling yourself? And, um, and by the way, if people want to download this, I'll put these three conversation canvases, a link to be able to download those if, if they would be helpful for you guys. What, what would your three top tips for even starting to have these conversations with people? So the first one I think is, uh, and you're going to love this, Rachel, because it comes up for me so often is pause. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop catch yourself and so there's such power in just going before I jump in before I react before I get pulled into my own story feel overwhelmed just breathe pause whatever that looks like for you so that's the first thing and then I uh, the the next thing that comes to me is pay attention so what am I seeing what is my intention what is needed outside of me what signs can I read that I would otherwise miss because I'm just on a freight train moving ahead? And so conversations really matter when I can pay attention. As you were saying earlier, the quality of my attention really impacts, you know, other people's thinking. And so it's pause and then pay attention and notice. And then I suppose the third thing is play the long game. Think about the long term here. Try and lift your focus from the direct here and now to think what is really possible here longer term. And if that's what I really want for myself, my team, my patients, my clients, what does that come back to the conversation needing to be right now? Mm, thank you. I think for me, this is all about being able to get out of a, a rescuer role with each other, with our, with, with our patients, with, with our colleagues. Don't feel that you have to fix it. That, And we talked about the drama triangle before in, in a podcast. People might want to go and, and listen to that, that one. But really, as leaders and thoughts in, in health and social care, often we do feel the need to fix it for everybody. We feel that we're the only person that can do it. And, and in conversations, we feel the need to fix it for people as well. But actually, if you can get out of that rescue role and get more into a, I guess it's a coaching approach, isn't it? About listening and, and helping that person solve their, their issues as well. And so if anybody wants to learn a little bit more about the Shapes Toolkit and a little bit more about how they can get out of that rescue role with their teams, that they're not trying to do everything and fix everything, then Annie and I have a membership called the Resilient Team Academy. It's for busy leaders in health and social care. And in it, we teach the Shapes Toolkit core training. We also have monthly webinars where we do a deep dive into these things in much, much more detail. And people get the opportunity to interact as well. 
we provide little bite-sized videos and team building activities. We actually provide conversation starters for teams and there's lots of other resources and bonus stuff and things like videos of coaching demos. And I think the main ethos really, Annie, is, is, is teaching people how to take that coaching approach so they don't feel overwhelmed and so that they can be better leaders. Absolutely. I mean, even if I was thinking about my sort of top three things, I was going, wow, that, that's what one needs in a coaching approach. Absolutely. And so I think what's wonderful to see is, is where coaching was kind of, you know, those people who had the funds and the time and the inclination to do, you know, two, three, four years of training, they did the coaching. But it's wonderful to see how that's just come right down to actually we all can do it. We all need to do it is to take a more coaching approach. And so it's in the way that we have conversations. So absolutely um, so critical in all the conversations we have. And we know, we know that you guys are really, really busy. So this is all broken down in bite-sized chunks. There's different ways of consuming it. Either come to the live webinars, watch them, listen to them on audio, or just dip in and out when you need to. But all of these are just delivered into your inbox with, with no hassle for you. So if you're interested, do ha- click on the link in the show notes, have a look, uh, see what you think. We only open the doors to this membership twice a year so that we can take people through it. Uh, we'd love you to join us uh, if you'd like to. So do check that out. Annie, thank you so much for for being on the podcast today. We're going to have to get you back. I'm thinking actually doing a little bit more, a longer one about the pause button. So I think the pause is so powerful. And of course, we'll put everything, all the links about how you can find find Annie, how you can get in touch with us. Everything will be in the show notes for you guys, as well as those three convocation canvases, if you would like to have a look at them. Okay, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Annie. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.